Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that I've got Dr. Andy Scuttinga in the studio with me today. Andy, welcome. Thanks. It's He's great to be back. professor at North Central University here in the great city of Minneapolis. And uh, I had this idea that I, I've been thinking about for a while. I thought, well, there's no better to, person to talk about it than a psychologist and someone who understands the cognitive thinking. And it seems to me that we have a tendency of creating our own crisis. We sometimes generate our own emergencies, and then we ask God to show up and navigate us through our our own emergency, and it's a false alarm. And I'm wondering, does God show up for false alarms, or does He only show up for realities? That's my it, thought. It's such a it's such a great thought, Bill, because I think. I think if you talk to a lot of therapists out there and, and a lot of people who work in the psychology field, they will tell you that, um, uh, I wouldn't put a percentage on it, but a significant amount of people's psychological issues are kind of caused by false alarms. Okay. Feelings of insecurity, feelings of anxiety that they've drummed up within themselves for for really no good reason. In fact, that's one of the things you do with people suffering from anxieties. You start getting them to take kind of an analytical and not cold-blooded, but a, but a real, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An objective look at what is causing you the anxiety that you have, for example. Mm-hmm. What are you worried about? What's the worst case scenario? And is that actually realistic? And some people have a, have a chronic issue where they, they can't get to that, is it a realistic part? And yeah. some have to confront it directly and say, you know, I'm, I'm overthinking this. Mm-hmm. So... When we talk about a perceived outcome that we might be generating in our own head, I don't know if I want to go down to the skating rink tonight because what if I do and that one bridge is slippery? What if I slip and I fall and then I hurt myself and then I never get to the rink and then I'm left out in the cold all night? Lord, help me not to be left out in the cold all night. And he's going, what are you you talking about? You're not left out in the cold all night. Right, you're not even going to go. No, but we sometimes we want some assurance that God will be there for us, which he will be, of course. Yeah. But we create, I think we sometimes create situations which in God's economy would be a false alarm. Yeah. It's like, well, wait a minute. You, I, you're, not, you're not in danger right now. I'm, I'm there for you if you're in danger, but this whole idea of slipping on the bridge and spending the night in the cold and it's not happening. No, and it's incredibly unrealistic. And this is actually where... Um, this is where people with like significant anxiety problems, you know, like agoraphobics deal with this all the time. This is, this is their life, right? They have this right. constant fear of, well, what if they, what if their whole lives and, and listeners out there who have dealt with this know, you know what this is like potentially. And some, some of you do, and some of you don't, um, for those of you who don't, it can be a very debilitating type of illness to have because you, you look out the window and you don't see, you know, I look out the window here, I see pine trees and traffic and, um, you know, a stoplight and whatnot. And you could look out that window and think of all the terrible things that could happen if you just walk out there. 
tree could fall on me. Um, I could get hit by the car. Someone could run a red light. Mm-hmm. I don't want to drive out there. And people with like generalized anxiety disorder, especially if it's a, the severe kind, um, yeah, they have this awfulizing in their thinking that they just can't get past. And usually when you look at the etiology of the disease of the illness, it goes back to those initial feelings of fear. And sometimes they're unfounded and sometimes they're real. And obviously a lot of people have anxiety for things that have really happened to them. Um, but many of us, we fear something that has a small chance of happening. Well, it's that old Chuck Swindoll chestnut. He says life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Yeah. Of course, everybody loves that. But I, <laughs> I think of the 90% of things that don't happen to you. Sure. And you worry about, spend a lot of time worrying about 90% of stuff that never happens. You could easily flip that saw around. Easy. And make it a was and call it. 90% of life is what you think is going to happen, and 10% is actually what does. That's what I mean. So there's yeah. that, that perception time and the reality time. And I think the more time you spend in perception, the unhappier you are. Because what if this happens, and what if that happens, and what if this happens? I mean, we were talking off air about your first colonoscopy appointment, right? Yeah. And and you spend, <laughs> you spend like, the, from the minute you make the appointment, you think about it every day. Yeah. And you go, well, I mean, it's going to be rough going through the prep, right? Yeah. And then it could be embarrassing, right? Yeah, totally. And then um, and then there's the fear that there might be bad news, right? Right. Uh, so there, there's all kinds of things that, but instantly you're in that perception phase of thinking about it all the time. And then if you've ever had one, if your experience was like Andy or mine, you go, that's it. We're done. Right. It's over. And we and have. The reality. Right? Yeah, exactly. And we have, and that's where I th- I think sometimes in society we take, we want to take away the choices that people have in that initial moment. We we all have a choice. Um, you know, now, if, again, if you're dealing with a significant mental health issue, you, you maybe don't have that choice so right. much. But for most of us, we, our doctor says, you're going, we'll stick with the colonoscopy example because it's a very vivid example. Yeah, right? It is vivid. Um you're going. You need to do this, and here's your appointment on Friday. You know, March 28th. You have I'm to. I'm busy that day. I can't. Yeah, I can't, right. I can't commit to that day. <laughs> you're going to drink four thousand ounces of Gatorade with this nasty powder in it, and you know, yeah. if you, you, most of you probably know what's going to happen after that. But at that moment, when the doctor says you need to do this, we have we have a choice, right? And I I sometimes feel like we, as a society, with with lots of things, actually, Bill, we. We take people's choices away, and we immediately say, "Oh, you must be, you must be really worried about that." Well, no, I'm forty something. It's pretty normal to get a colonoscopy when you get to be our age. Yeah. Or my my family member had an issue. A genetic family yep. member yep. had an issue, and they said you should go check it out. Well, that doesn't mean anything's going to happen to me. I can choose to take that path of, hey, it's probably going to be fine. I don't really want to drink all that Gatorade. I've heard it's gross, but I'll do it. Or you can go down the road of, I probably have colon cancer. Mm-hmm. I probably am very sick. I'm probably going to have complications. I'm probably, you know, and you can easily that see how it can snowball downhill right. really quickly. But when you have people around you who say, yeah, that's scary, or that's terrible, or that's horrible, or I hope it goes well because mine, you know, right. instead of saying, I am sure it's going to be fine, don't worry about it. We we have a choice at that very outset of how we're going to handle that yeah. situation. Or not an entirely pleasant procedure, but God will be with you throughout right. the whole thing. Trust, yeah. trust in him. Or, hey, I've done that. It's not nearly as bad as what people make it sound like. Yeah. Because it 
Honestly, it wasn't. And if anybody out there hasn't done a colonoscopy yet, no, it's not an awesome experience, but it's not, it really isn't as bad as what people make it sound. Mm-hmm. I just want to go back and maybe I'll invite listeners to if you have had situations where you've created in your mind your own sense of crisis and then wanted God to intervene in that crisis when in fact it was in reality a false alarm, right? Yeah. And, and the question is, does God show up for false alarms? I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. And I want to ask to see if any listener has had an experience where they will attest to that because I could be way off. Yeah, this could be one long hour. We if might I'm, just sit here in silence. That could be. I, I we could have a stare down. I mean, I have contacts, so you okay. would probably win. Okay. Um, and of course, I just got an acronym from a listener for fear, which is false experience appearing real. Yeah, so, you know, that's a good one. It's a great one, and I think that kind of ties into what we're talking about. So, thank you, John, for that comment. Yeah, that's a great point, John, because. A lot of this is obviously tied directly to fear, and we, I don't know if we condition people to be fearful of so many things. I think sometimes we do. You know, you you think about all the, well, I mean, you think about all the, the people who have had to go in, who have chosen to go get a vaccine, right, mm-hmm. who are fearful of needles. Sure. And, you know, and, you know, why are people fearful of needles? Most people haven't had a bad experience with needles, but they're still terrified of them. You know, good point. Why is that? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of pain? Are we afraid of, of sorrow, of suffering, of of death at the hand of a needle? You know, spiders. Why are we afraid of spiders? You know, there's there's a lot of things that we are afraid of that probably we learned to be scared of when we were kids, and we don't think of very deeply about it throughout our whole lives. Then all of a sudden we're 35 and we're terrified of that spider in the kitchen. It's interesting you said learn to be scared about. Oh, yeah. And that's that's a real deal. It's definitely learned. Yeah. Yeah, why else would you be afraid of something? That's yeah. why small children, when they see a rabbit, for example, they're usually not terrified of a rabbit. Right. Um, and they usually like puppies and kitties and, and sometimes even big dogs until the big dog comes and runs at them with joy. And yet that's that's maybe terrifying for a two-year-old who's never yeah. seen a furry animal like yeah. that. And so they've learned now that that thing is worth being scared of. I yeah. mean, how many of us have something that we're afraid of that we look back to our childhood or, or our teen years and say, yeah, I had a bad experience with that. And now my whole life, I've been fearful of this thing, even though I rationally know that yeah. I really shouldn't be. And then there's the context thing. I mean, because yeah. you'll pay $60 for a, a live Maine lobster on your plate at a restaurant. But if you found that thing behind the, the furnace in your furnace room, you get out a baseball bat <laughs> or call your realtor and put your house up for sale. I mean, that'd be it, right? Or I would find a way to get more of those lobsters, and I'd sell them online, <laughs> right? See, we have choices, right? Yeah, can, we have choices for sure. There's a silver lining in every cloud. For sure. Um, or a lobster in every basement. So uh, John jumped in with another comment. He also gave us the FEAR acronym, false experience appearing real. And then he mm-hmm. also said the question to ask is, what do you want to happen? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What do you want to happen? John, are you, are you going after my job? That's a great question, John. You should text in more questions. (laughs) I like that one. Can you read it again? I was so enthralled by it, I forgot The question you ask is, what do you want to happen? I I think sometimes... That's a great question. Yeah, well, people who are are fearing something, uh, sometimes they just want it to go away. You know, what do you want? I want it to go away. I don't want to be scared anymore. And But then the question, the deeper question is, do do you want to be scared of this anymore? And... If you really 
don't want to lose that fear, then what are you gaining from it? Because a lot of people will talk about their fear of something because they don't, then they don't have to do it. Right. You know, most, most people, when you poll them, even when I ask like my students, how many of you would be excited if I said, hey, part of your grade is you're going to have to give an impromptu speech sometime in the middle of class. Ooh. And it's going to be for credit. And it's going to be for teacher. a lot of credit. Yeah. How many of you would be, I always ask them, how many of you would be excited about that? And about four out of 40 will raise their hand. Yeah. And I said, how many of you would be terrified by that? And most of the rest raise their hand. Mm-hmm. And now how many of you would just say that so you wouldn't have to do it? And then almost everybody raises their hand, <laughs> right? You know, so yeah. we often use our, our fears that sometimes get out of things that we just think would be somewhat unpleasant. Yeah. Hey, we want you to do the presentation for the meeting. Oh, no, I don't do well with public speaking. It makes yeah. me nervous. Yeah. Well, it's because you really don't want to have to be the one doing the presentation. So what are those fears really about? That's a great question that John asked. What do you want to get out of this? It's like the Seinfeld joke. People are so afraid of public speaking that at a funeral, they'd rather be the guy in the box than the one giving the (laughs) eulogy. I think for about 5% of the people, that's actually true. Probably so. They would rather be the body. Let me take a break. We're talking uh, with uh, Dr. Andy Scuddinga. We're talking about fear today, but we're also wondering when we create our own crisis, our own pain, does God show up? Now, uh, right before we go to break, her Andy Tom said, yes, God will show up, but he will also ask, why are you afraid? Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. Yeah, we're, we're both playing trumpet right now. Yeah, we're both we're both playing fans of the song. Air trumpet. Yeah, and neither actually Bill did it really well. I just look like a guy okay. playing a kazoo. I, I was think. hitting the notes properly. You did actually. Yeah. Do you yeah. play the trumpet? No, of course I don't. I play I, air trumpet. Well, yeah. And I just crushed it because you said, "Boy, you're hitting the notes." You did. Or maybe I said that. <laughs> no, I think you said that in your head. All right, Dr. Andy Scudding is my guest. We're talking about. I think this has gotten to be quite an interesting topic because people are yeah. responding beautifully. And That's I, great. And it the whole idea is. If we generate false alarms, and maybe because we're not trusting God, we're not surrendering to him, but we're creating our own worries and anxieties, and then we expect God to show up and solve those problems that we've created, which are apart from reality, does he show up? Um, Or does he wait for an actual moment to come in where he says, I need to intervene? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I said that well, but let's see. uh, Thinking of God, our Father, so listener said, I think it's fair to say he'll show up for false alarms, right? Maybe he shows up as we do for our kids and teaches us about reality. Yeah, I love that one. I do too. You know, I, I was telling you about this book that I was that I was reading, the, the Coddling of the American Mind, and one of the challenges that they're talking about is our failure as, as, as a society and as parents over the last, you know, maybe 20, 30 years is to let kids wipe out 
fall down, make mistakes, um, and maybe get burned, you know, not severely, but, yeah. you know, learn, learn real life practical lessons, not the hard way, but the, the right way, mm-hmm. which is by, by learning, you know, you can't run with your hand on your kid's bike for the entire block. They might, they might need to crash into the bush and mm-hmm. learn how to do that. They might have to learn how to fall off the monkey bars and scrape up their knees and, and whatnot. We can't tell kids, hey, don't stop running on pavement. Well, what's the worst that can happen? They skin their hands and their knees and they learn maybe I shouldn't run on pavement. And their their premise is that we aren't allowing kids to learn those lessons on their own. We're trying to just tell them, don't do that and, and protect them from all these different things. And I, I think the listener's comment gets to that to some degree. Mm-hmm. I think God does want us to have some sense of agency of solving our own problems without immediately saying, I, I can't do it. I need help. Yeah. Um, Bridget said, God has definitely shown up for me in the anxiety and panic. Even though my fears were irrational, he is compassionate and comforting. Yeah. I should add that in the situation, he most definitely wanted me to turn it over to him and surrender. Yeah. Those are great comments that, that piggyback well on another because I think there's I mean, there's obviously kind of a tipping point for people when their 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 fears or the anxieties or what have you get to a point where now it's impeding their normal course of life. And that's when we start seeing wanting to see people in, in a therapeutic situation where, okay, your your fear of this thing is now kind of bleeding into all areas of your life. And now your relationships are suffering, your your spiritual life is suffering because you're so overcome not overcome, but you're so overwhelmed with all this worry and anxiety that it's making it hard for you to function like you should be. And that that's when you start real, reaching the threshold of, do I have a mental illness or not? And that's when you need to get some mm-hmm. help. Rosella said, uh, Bill, I think it was Mark Twain who said, I am an old man and I have known many troubles, most of which never happened. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a very Mark Twain it thing does, to it? say. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, but I think that's a, maybe a little bit what we're talking about today. We yeah. generate worries, anxieties, and we we project into the future and we create scenarios that may or may not happen. And then we we insert them into our head as if maybe they're happening. Yeah. And then we want God to be intervening in that situation. That's not reality. Right. And we're terrible future tellers. Oh, we're H- humans are not, we're not very good at predicting things. No. Otherwise, you know, the, the Vegas odds makers would be out of business and out of money. Right. You know, because then everyone would be able to predict who wins the Super Bowl or who wins the French Open or, you know, whatever betting thing that you have on mind. And, you know, I'm I'm not condoning gambling. I'm just it's just an example. But we, we don't predict things nearly as well as as what we think. And there's a lot of research that shows that. And so knowing that about ourselves as human beings, it's you know, it's probably better for us not to think too hard about all the things that that could happen. At the same time, we should we should prepare for the future. You know, you you want to save for if you want to retire someday, you mm-hmm. need to save for it. You have to prepare for the eventuality that you'll stop working full time. That's wise, right? That's that's good to do. Um, but it's not good to count every single penny in your account every day and worry about how much is it going to cost for me to buy a loaf of bread and a bottle of milk in twenty forty two. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to look like, so right. I need to save really carefully. Okay, yeah. that now you're now you're starting to look at an unhealthy way of trying to predict the future. I think. Yeah, when you think of the overarching lie that the enemy will have, because what's the, Jesus says, "I will never leave you or forsake you." Right. Right. So the lie would be, 
you're going to be alone someday. Nobody's going to like you. Yeah. You're going to be all by yourself, all alone. That's a really good one. That's I a, think that's, that's one of the a really good best. line. Yo, absolutely it is. So you start to awfulize. You think, I don't want that to be my outcome. No. And God says, I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And people, everybody, everybody who's lived more than a couple of years past their, you know, kind of age of consciousness, which is, you know, like three or four years of old, three, three or four years old, everyone past that has felt loneliness. We've all felt what it's like to be alone. Even in a crowded room, we all know that feeling. And it's miserable, right? And that's why... So many people are afraid of that happening to them. And yeah, that's a that's a that's a great example, Bill, of how we can look to the future and be afraid of what what if I alienate my kids? But what's the um, end game? Yeah, what if my what if you know, what if what if I'm alone for the rest of my life and I have nobody? Yeah, most people don't have that. Most people have lots of people that they can turn to. But that fear that that's gonna happen to you can be really powerful. Yeah. And also, uh, Roselle also said, in 12-step groups, they talk about analysis paralysis. Mm, yep. You can overthink things really easily. Mm-hmm. And when that's the case, uh, perhaps you are stuck or perhaps you're creating a scenario that you want God to intervene with that is not reality. It's just your paralysis, your yeah. analysis and paralysis. What do you think about that? I think that's a that's a great point, Um Rosella, right? Rosella, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that's that's something that's worth anybody to think about. I mean, I I do this myself, even you know, like little things sometimes. Like you just what? you know, making a sometimes making a small decision. Should I? It was like a week or two ago. I spent like twenty five or thirty minutes looking at the twin schedule because they sent out this email that said you can buy five dollar tickets. I'm like, well, should we go Tuesday? Or a Thursday? Do I want to see the Yankees or do I want to see the Blue Jays? You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm way overthinking this. Like, just pick a day. They're $5 tickets, Andy. Just <laughs> pick one. Everybody in the family will be happy to go to the Twins game for yeah, 20 for sure. bucks, yeah. right, for all four of us. Doesn't matter who they're losing to. And I thought, what, why am I doing this? But, you know, I've done this. Yeah, they'll. it's the Yankees. They'll yeah. probably lose. But they, you know, but I've done this with big things, too. We're like, oh, i got to make a decision. I, I don't know what I want to do. So I totally empathize with that thought. I mean, we've all been there, but when it comes to our, our mental health, that can become a long period of being stuck where you're afraid of making a decision because n- none of the outcomes seem good to you. So you don't want to pick one and then people become fearful of making a choice that could make somebody upset or could harm them. And then that can snowball too into a cycle of just pure indecisiveness that bleeds out into other areas of yeah. your life. So do you have false alarms? Do you generate situations in your life which is kind of a false alarm? And the, the great Chuck Swindoll line that, you know, life is, uh, you know, 10% what happens and 90% how you respond to it. So the, the, the thought is that 90% of things in life that you think about or worry about don't actually happen. So do you spend time and energy thinking about that and wanting God to show up in those moments and And have you had an experience where he has? Dr. Andy Scudding is my guest. We'll take a short break and be right back. Let me know if you've got a story to tell us. We'd love to hear it. 877-933-2484. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. 
So glad to have Dr. Andy Scudding with me today in studio. We are talking, what are we talking about, Andy? You, you capsulize it for us. Well, we've been talking about, been does, yeah, does God show up when we create false alarms, when we have these kind of self-made crises in our life, does God show up? And I think the resounding answer from listeners is, yes, he does. Which is great. Yeah, and I would, I would agree with that. But you, um, you, got a, you got a note from a listener this that is I quite think profound. is a really yeah. good one. Yeah. Kendra said, when Jesus calmed the storm, he was there for his disciples, and he did free them from their fear by calming the storm, but he never validates their fears. Apostle Paul later went through the storm. Yeah, that uh, that was that was a really that's a really good that's a great story and it's a it's a perfect analogy for what we're talking about. I think mm-hmm. I don't think God always is going to validate our fears. I, I I really I really don't think so. I think God would look at probably a lot of our situations and give us pathways out of that fear. Yeah, actually, Kendra's comment puts some meat on the bones for me because I think what what she's saying and what you're saying, Andy, is God is not going to always be validating our fears. No. And to me, the false alarm is that. I've got this fear. God's going, I'm not going to validate that because it's not happening. Right. But yet, if we're... If we're floundering in the water, like Peter did when he was walking in the water, yeah. you know, he, he he suddenly felt the felt fear that was unfounded. He should have trusted that God. He should have trusted that Jesus had him. He got out of the boat. He walked toward him on the water, and then he looked down and he realized, "Oh, I'm walking in water!" Right? And he, and he <laughs> fell in the water. Hey, and so Jesus had to help him. And I think, I, I think that's what we're what we're what we're getting at here, right? Is we have to we have to to trust and we have to give up our fear and we don't need god to tell us it was okay that you were afraid that's i don't think that's what needs to happen i think we need to say okay i was afraid but but now i'm not because i know that you have me mm-hmm. i know that i'm i know that it's going to be okay and it might not be okay for a long time i might struggle with this for a very long time this this thing that I'm afraid of, but I know that God has me, and I think that's what we need to continue to encourage one another with, is that idea that, yes, I, I see that you're fearful, or I see that you're anxious about this, but man, God has you. Well, I don't know. No, he really does. Mm-hmm. And we need to, to push people to continue to think that way. I mean, that's what that's what a cognitive behavioral therapist would do for you, is help you change the way that you think about this sort of thing. You know, take the spirituality out of it. That's That's what CBT would be about. Mm-hmm. changing your thinking patterns, but we can do that spiritually too by inviting, asking God to help us get out of those same fearful patterns without the validation of our, without the validation of what we are afraid of. Mm-hmm. And John put another comment on the text line. I think he's hitting for the cycle today. Yeah, this is like number three, right? Yeah. So if you're going to use your imagination, then create the end result that you really desire and not the one you do not desire. So obviously you can have a hopeful outcome in mind. You can focus on that. Sure. Um, well, I mean, that's that sounds like like good goal setting. Yeah, I think it, that's kind of what it sounds like. You know, I want to. I don't want to be afraid anymore. Yeah, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up every day and I'm going to walk five miles. Yeah, and I'm not going to be afraid of that. Come wind or rain or sun or snow. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I and it it goes back to to choice making, right? God gives us agency. I always like talking about that in class. We, we have agency. We have choice. God gives us free will to do 
to do the right things. And, you know, we also have the choice to do the wrong things. That's that's why we sin, because sometimes we choose the wrong things, sometimes on accident, sometimes deliberately. But we still have we still have choices. And when we know that we are fearful and anxious, we we have to make the choice to do something about that because it's not going to go away on its own. And we've talked about this multiple times on this show, too, even using the same analogy. God gives us tools at our disposal to use to 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 help ourselves, too. And sometimes I think we we want to cry out to God, save me or take this away or fix this. And the solution is like three feet away from us. But we're looking upwards, like, please, you know, with our arms to the sky, save me from this. Right. And yet save me from this. The answer is right here and maybe reading a, a book or getting into the Bible or talking to a therapist or talking to a friend even. Right. And just getting whatever it is off your chest and speaking about it with somebody who can help you out with that. Another listener said, uh, afraid of not being in control of something that could hurt us. Yeah. Again, lots of wisdom coming from listeners. Oh, sure. That's, an, that's another big one for people is is that that loss of control, feeling like they can't control something. And, you know, we're not talking like OCD level control where, right. where people have to do multiple things to feel better about the control that they have. But man, so many people, uh, students that I've talked to and other adults that I've talked to, when they feel like control of something is slipping away from them, from them, it can it can cause a lot of a lot of psychological distress for people. Uh, where in scripture does it say you need to be in control? I don't think anywhere. Yeah, I don't think so either. We're supposed to give things to God. Be obedient, right? Right. Share your yoke. I will share your yoke. Mm-hmm. You know, those are. Those are not just fully handed over items either. It's let's do this together. Let's walk together. Jesus offers that to us. And I, I, I always like that analogy quite a bit. Share your yoke. My my burden is easy. My What is it? My yoke is light. My burden is easy. I always get that mixed up. I have to correct you on the spot here. Please do. Yeah. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. Yeah, there we <laughs> no. go. I knew I was mixing it up. <laughs> yeah, I hope I got that right. Did I get it right? Okay, good. I sure hope so. Yeah, because I'm the host. That's that's right. And when right. the host goofs up, then he hears about it. Well, then we go to commercial break, right? Yeah, we do, and we do play some a lot fundraising, of, a lot of trumpet music. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it's time for a break now. I just have to look up a Bible verse quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the the fear of being hurt, uh, and that that can go way back to childhood, of course. Oh, yeah. Those are unresolved issues that can be speaking loud and clearly into an adult's ear. Yeah. Even I'm going back to something you said earlier about the fear that you learned when you were younger. It's, yeah. If if you grew up on a farm and you're in the barn and there's a mouse in the barn and you're with your dad, maybe you go, dad goes, oh, there's a mouse. What a pest. Mm-hmm. But maybe in a different situation, there's <laughs> a mouse and everyone's jumping up on the appliances. Oh, yeah. That's usually on America's Funniest Home Videos, right? <laughs> it usually, you know? usually is. So you learned a different response. Yeah, that those learned responses are are really really important, and they make a big difference in in everybody's individual lives. You know, there's evolutionary psychologists will say, well, we're afraid of snakes and spiders because our ancient ancestors were literally killed by those things. You know, we go to the zoo and we feel a little bit of fear of tigers and bears and lions because we know they're apex predators, and back in our origins, you know, they would have. They would have killed us if they had the chance in, you know, in the forest or the woods whenever we were hunting. And, you know, there's there's some truth to that because we do pass those stories on from generation to generation. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, my my dad, when I was a kid, nearly died of a black widow bite. 
He had two black widow bites up by his neck. Wow. Now, I was always after that, not entirely fearful of spiders, but definitely wary. I mean, that changed my life in how I looked at a simple spider. Even the little, you know, those spindly-legged ones that yeah. are, you know, kind of... The daddy long legs? Yeah, around here in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, you know, even those you look at and you're like, yeah, okay, that gives me a feeling. That's a that's a learned feeling. You're right. right. I didn't I wouldn't have had that fear if my dad had never been hospitalized for a weekend with Probably a black not. widow bite. No, no yeah. way. Maybe I'd pick them up, but I don't do that. Yeah. Another listener said, I'm a young wife and mother and I'm afraid of becoming this spiritual, relational, and emotional leader in the family if my husband does not lead in those areas. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. And sometimes spouses they do have to step into the void of something missing that they that they want from their spouse. But and I think that's that's not an imaginary crisis. That's something that is um in in her mind and yeah. she can start instantly praying that God will lead and 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 their husband will will have strength to lead. Yeah. And that's something that you have evidence right in front of you for. Now, if there's nothing backing that and you have the fear that someday that w- that might happen or that will happen, but you have you have nothing to base that on. That's where I think we get into trouble sometimes. In that kind of we're projecting our fears onto people unfairly. Now, if he's not doing those things, and you really recognize that, that's a that's a different story. And I can totally understand why you'd be concerned yeah. about that. Now, tell our listener that she's gonna God's gonna give her the strength. He will. No, but tell her that you he will. He will. Listener, he will give you the strength. But I'm letting her rena- you, remain you, anonymous. I you also name, have but. to ask for it, too. And you have to pursue the avenues of, do you need to have a conversation with your husband? I mean, is this? have you talked to him about it? Have you processed this? Does he even know you feel this way? And it would be unfair to him for you not to broach that topic in a, in a gentle and, and kind way. You know, that's always the thing about telling people to be confrontational, right? Yeah, you better tell him how you feel or... You need to share with him how you feel, right? Sharing yeah. and telling are two different things. And, and, you know, we have to be careful how we give advice about stuff like that. But, you know, if this is something that you're concerned about, it's a conversation that you definitely want to have in your household. Mm-hmm. Another listener said meekness is strength under control, which I love. And I didn't really, wasn't really fully aware of that for the la- until the last several years. Yeah, I've, I've heard that one a few times before. And I was, I was like, Ted, you can have, you know, you think about who would you respect more? Somebody who comes into a room and says... Ladies and gentlemen, we need to do something different about this problem that we have. Or would you have more respect for somebody who comes in yelling and screaming and saying, we're going to do things different and slams things on the table and yells and, and, you know, makes a big spectacle and, you know, gets y'all fired up. I mean, who, who do we respect more, right? I tend to respect the quieter, more direct person, Mm -hmm. but I've also been that person who says, we're going to fire everybody up and we're going to yell, you know, that, that doesn't always work. I think I heard in, in, Biblical times, it was a very strong horse that was under control, a very powerful animal. That's how meekness yeah, was used. That that sounds familiar. Yeah. Did we talk about that once? We here? might have. There's something I'd heard something about this too about these gigantic, you know, like draft horses that you yeah. know could rip your arms off if you weren't careful controlling them. But, but they would never do that. But that but the, the definition of meekness was that their power under control. Yeah. I like that analogy a lot. Do you think we talked about that? Because this is kind of scary if we I, did. I feel like we did. Because I remember learning how to ride a bike and coming here today. That's what I remember. Riding a... Wait, what? Learning how to ride a bike and then coming here to work today. Two so you learned how to ride a bike today? A lot of things in the middle are gray area, Andy. Okay. <laughs> I didn't I, learn today. I do rem- I remember learning, 
how to, I remember learning how to ride my bike. It was a red, like, Schwinn-type bike when I was a kid. Yeah. I was in Lansing, Illinois. Really? You fall? Yeah. Parents let you fall? Yeah, they did, actually. Yeah. I makes, fell a lot. That makes sense. Yeah. It's all coming together for me. All right, let me take a little break. Dr. Andy Scuddinga is my guest. He is a psychology professor at North Central University, and we are talking about the whole idea of false alarms. Does God show up when we create our own crisis? Or does he show up and say, I'm here with you. I'm going to love you through this. He didn't address that with the disciples when he calmed the storm. We'll be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Playing sax, Andy? Yeah. You're air saxing right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've played this song. Have you? Yeah. You play sax? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, it's been a little while, but... Is it a high school thing? High school, college. Um, I was actually... We had a bunch... Right before we moved to Indonesia, we had a bunch of guys together, and we were starting to do some some real gigs that we got actual money for. Come on, really? Yeah. yeah. Actual and then we, money? Then I moved away, and it all fell apart. Yeah. It's kind of hard to join a band when you're 4,000 miles away. Yeah. So I've enjoyed this discussion, and I want to continue it for the time remaining. I, I, I'm so convinced that, that we have a tendency as humans to have worry, anxiety, create scenarios in our head that may or may not happen, and then sometimes want God to come alongside and solve some imaginary problem. Yeah. And I think the consensus is that God will show up and let you know he loves you, he's walking through this with you, but there's no real fire for him to put out at the moment. And I th- I wonder, too, Bill, if God lets us know, hey, this isn't a fire, and you need to stop acting like it is one. In, in sometimes in no uncertain terms, and other times maybe it's, maybe it's more subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he puts someone in a life to say, hey, you know, you need to quit worrying about this. Really? Come on, man. Stop awfulizing about this. Stop worrying about this. The chances of this happening are so low, it's not going to happen. You know, there's all kinds of, like, social science studies about, like, recency bias and whatnot. You know, people are really deeply affected by things that they've heard about in the news. You know, when when a plane crashes, then the, the rates of people being afraid of flying go way up for, right. you know, a few weeks or maybe a couple months. And then all that reporting of, I'm fearful of flying, goes way down again. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I, I, I think that we are, we're very susceptible to that those types of things. But I think the fears and, and anxieties that we're talking about here are longer-term issues that, that people are dealing with. Yeah, but I'd say collectively, Andy, we have all gone through the fear of getting COVID. Yeah. I think most of us have had a a, a, a certain thought of, I don't want to get it. Yeah. Um, maybe not afraid of getting it, but I certainly don't want to get it. Right. I That was the camp that I personally was in. I just, you know, I'm in the demographic, mid-40s, pretty healthy non-smoker you know i'm I, I had none of the factors that were dangerous for most people who were who really got sick or who were much older um so for me it wasn't 
it wasn't a huge worry. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't want to get it. Necessarily. No, there are probably days where I felt like, oh, I, I wish I could just get it and get it over with so I could move on with life. <laughs> Stop wearing a mask, right? I yeah. can buy a placard that says I already had it, I'm okay. Uh, but we couldn't do that. There's going to be probably millions of people around the world now who will still be fearful of COVID well past their vaccination, if they choose that, well past the time where we all look around and say, you know, nobody's really getting it anymore. It's going to be a fear item for many people for a long time. Yeah. Another piece of amazing wisdom from another listener. This is my wingman, Terry. He said, the Bible gives us so much godly wisdom. When the disciples were at their most distressed after Jesus's crucifixion and death, he appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus, walked with them, and he directed them to Scripture. As the Bible certainly portrays the Messiah as a ruling king, it also presents him as a suffering servant. He is ultimately empathetic in our fears. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like God's going to pull us into a room and be like, dude, knock it off. You're acting like a child or, you know, whatever. You're not mm-hmm. going to get chided. But as we talked about earlier, I'm not sure he's going to validate those. Again, I don't think he's going to validate those fears necessarily either. But to be our comforting presence, absolutely. Yeah. And fears are, everyone's got some fears of some kind, right? Yeah. Um, So when we create scenarios in our head that may or may not ever happen, like Swindoll points out, you know, life is 10% what happens and 90% how we respond. So there's so many things that you will not go through in life that you've worried about. Um, Yeah. And so I guess the whole point was, how do we stay in the moment, in the present moment where we just commit each day to the Lord in this 24-hour period we have called a day mm-hmm. and a night and say, I'm going to trust the Lord for this day. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because what point is that? Right. And that's that's a lot harder to do than it sounds oh, I know for it many is. people. I know. And I and I want to be really clear. I don't, I don't want to come off as being insensitive or dismissive of people's fears because there's a lot of people out there who have really legitimate fears based on their personal history, trauma they've just, you know, they've had happen to them, um, things that they've seen, things that they've maybe done themselves. You know, there's there's a lot of good reasons for people to be fearful of certain things. Um, and and yet we also, like we've talked about for this hour, we we still have we have the ultimate power in our corner. You know, we have we have God, we have Jesus on our side, alongside of us. And at some point we have to make the decision to give that fear. To God. I agree. I'm going to look up a passage here, so say something else if you like. Oh, wow. I, I can that, say that, so that, many things. That, that, I know that's very stressful. Uh, now, now I've got paralysis by analysis. That's you know, okay. What, what I get it. wisdom nugget should I share? And all I can come up with is nothing. No, I'm, I'm coming up with it here. Oh, good. Um, as I'm in Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his, in, in his, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, here's the verse as it continues. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So you think of that power that lives in us is yeah. the same power, the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And you have to Trust look at believe. that and say, then what do I have to be afraid of? Nothing. <clears throat> Nothing. Yeah. And of course we're, we're humans. So 
on one hand, we can say, I will never be afraid again. And then tomorrow, you know, we might have a terrifying near accident. Well, there, you've just experienced fear again. So, I mean, we, we can't avoid that. And fear is a good thing. You know, if you, 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 if you see a bear in your neighborhood, you, you should be afraid of it. You shouldn't you should you move know. to a different neighborhood. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Well, if you live in Texas, you might have a tiger running that's around true. your neighborhood. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah, I would go inside. Right. I mean, there's there's legitimate reasons to be fearful of things. Um, we can we can come up with a hundred examples right. of legitimate things to be afraid of. But at the same time, we can't live thinking about what could happen because most of us don't have tigers in our neighborhood yeah. or bears. Here's a great comment from John Andy. He said, I regularly ask God to help me even when I, ha- I have caused the problem. Yeah, it's humbling, <laughs> but I find he helps me anyway. It's it is out of mercy and grace that he sent Jesus while. We were yet sinners. My ineptitude is not a barrier to his grace. I think sometimes God is waiting for us to ask for help. That's awesome. And next Friday, John will be here in studio with me. Really? Where, where am I going to be? <laughs> I don't on? know. <laughs> we, we're, we're moving on. John and I are going to have our own radio show. Oh, this now. is a different John. Oh, it's a different John. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Yeah, well, it was not the first John. Well, this John is pretty good, John. too. This is brilliant, I think. This is. is really, really spot on. Yeah. Because the whole premise is, is God there when we're creating all these false alarms? Absolutely. Or does God only show up when there's a reality in place? And I think the overwhelming consensus is we all feel as believers that God is there through all of the minutiae of life. Sure. All the time. Even when we create our own hysteria, um, he's, I think he's there. He may not be validating our fears, but he is, he's there with us. Absolutely. As always. Yeah. Forever and ever. Yeah. That's what, that's that what that's what gives us the great hope as Christians, right? That's that's the thing that we can share with nonbelievers is, hey, look, I don't I don't really have to worry about a whole lot. Well, what do you mean? Well, here, let me tell you why. Because I don't I don't live in fear because of this. Um, yeah, I have real fears sometimes, but I don't let it overtake my life because I have Jesus Christ. I've God in my corner. What do you have? What's taking your fear away? Mm-hmm. The government, your your friends family and that they they're limited in what they can do for you but i i have something that can do way more than that yeah and i think that's you know a great topic of conversation we can have with people if you say is there anything that you're excessively worrying about right now or do you have fears about anything that i can help pray for you i mean yeah most people have something on their plate oh sure and even though yeah like you said we're coming out of the pandemic you know things are we're here in minnesota we're a lot of things are going back to pretty much normal. Feels that way. You know, regular access. You you don't have to wear a mask where if you're vaccinated, and even if you aren't, you still have the choice, right? right? So, you know, we're are but people's fears are still going to be. They might be less. They might be more. Sorry, they might be more hesitant to voice those fears with people, but but many folks will still have them. Just about COVID yeah. and the pandemic in general. So the great news is God will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you through every detail of your life. And if you are worrying, I think of that great passage in Philippians 4. Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in all your prayers, ask God for what you need. Always asking with a thankful heart. Yeah. I always think it's so important to ask with a thankful heart. Sometimes I think people can go to God angrily. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it would be hard not to sometimes. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds safe in union with Christ Jesus. Amen. And that's the peace that transcends all understanding. So maybe don't expect it to make perfect sense to other people because it came not from this world. It came from God. Right. 
sometimes we need to just not rationalize things yeah, and just accept that. I don't know why I feel good about this situation, but I do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's God's peace, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Andy, thanks for being here. Great hey, to see you. My I pleasure. I always enjoy talking to you. Dr. Andy Scudding has been my guest. He's a professor of psychology at North Central University right here in the Twin Cities. That is our show for the day. Okay, tomorrow we have Jay Warner Wallace on the program, which is always a great hour. And then Dr. Eric uh, Tanas will be joining Peter Kapsner and I. We're going to talk about the value of humor. I think that's going to be a lots of fun tomorrow. That's all coming up on the next show. Thanks for being with me today. I hope you have a wonderful evening. As you lay your head on that pillow tonight, know that God's working out his great, great plan in your life, and he really loves you. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.